on the block on demand. Without Jerry McNamara, we wouldn't have won 10 games this year. Okay? Not 10. Two seconds and one. It's 10 wins in a row for the Crunch. It's the biggest upset in the Carrier Dome in more than 30 years as the Orange hold off the defending national champion. They beat Clemson. The Bills make me wanna shout. McCoy in the backfield takes the handoff, runs up the middle, breaks a tackle. He's inside the 10, cuts to the left, into the end zone. Buffalo wins. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Somebody in Vegas told them they were going to win by 20. They look at the positive side of things once in a while instead of the negative all the time. This is On the Block. Here's X-Men. ESPN Radio 97.7, 100.1, ESPN Radio, Utica, Rome. Oh, what's happening, Mohawk Valley? Great to have you along for the ride today. If you are listening on the ESPN app, that's another great way to stay in touch with the show no matter where you go, except the bathroom. That's kind of gross. You can leave us out there in the time being. But if you have the ESPN app on your phone, you download it, you'll find the Listen tab and there we are. Just search for ESPN Syracuse or ESPN Radio Utica Rome. You can listen on Alexa. Did you know that? Surrey, did you know that? I don't I don't have my phone in the studio. If you're listening to yesterday's show and heard how much Surrey wanted to participate, I was going to ask her if she knew that. We don't have an Alexa in this room, though we do have Alexas in the building. So if I went in the next room and said, hey, Alexa, play ESPN Syracuse, that would happen. If you want that to happen on your smart speaker, just search ESPN Syracuse on your Alexa app, click Enable on the ESPN Syracuse skill, and off you go. Here's how you get in touch with the program today, 437-7644. That's the magical phone number, Brent Axe Media. Brent Axe Media on Twitter. The On The Block text line is 288-0644. All great ways to fire off the hot takes. That's hot. We go along here today. A lot of Syracuse football discussion on the program today. So how does the Kelly Bryant situation affect this football game? We knew Trevor Lawrence was going to start, but Kelly Bryant did not wait long before deciding to transfer. What does that mean for how this game will be played? How will this change how Syracuse prepares for Clemson? Because that was the path to victory a year ago. They went all in on getting after Kelly Bryant. They knocked Kelly Bryant out of the game. And Clemson, while they hung in there and is a talented enough team that that's not going to knock them completely off the shelf, it certainly, certainly led to Syracuse's victory a year ago. Can they employ a similar approach against Trevor Lawrence. Now, let this be said right off the bat here. He's really good. So let's not just, oh, he's a freshman and they just have to do this. Freshmen will make freshman mistakes inevitably, but Trevor Lawrence was not only the top quarterback prospect in all of college football a year ago, he was the top prospect, period, in all of college football. And there's a reason he knocked Kelly Bryant off 
the starting quarterback perch. So we'll get to that coming up. What has been created in college football as a result of this? And so much more. Julian Wiggum's going to be in studio about an hour from now. He'll hang. We'll talk football. We'll go in depth. If you're not following on uh, on Twitter, which is just at Julian Wiggum, you really need to be because it is honest insight. It is great insight. It is a player perspective on what he's seeing. We'll certainly get his thoughts on the Kelly Bryant transfer news and how Trevor Lawrence prepares for a game like this. And what's the reaction in the defensive room as that news spread at Syracuse today? So we'll get Julian in studio to discuss that. Hot takes on the way, including Rick Patino's stop in Central New York. And I'm wondering what the market is for Bryce Harper. We will discuss that in hot takes later. But uh, as noted right at the top here, Dino Babers today reacting to the news that came down that Kelly Bryant is transferring, and now he knows that he only has to really prepare for one quarter. Now now we've, we've got to focus totally on Trevor. I mean, you're talking about a very talented 6'6", 215 freshman uh, from the state of Georgia. You watch him on tape, he is outstanding. I mean, all when his body fills out, you're looking at a guy that's probably going to be first or second in the NFL draft, and I'm talking about in three years. I'm not talking about in four so he really, really is as talented as everyone thinks he is. Uh, the move with Kelly is a little surprising, but you know we all wish him the best. But uh, Trevor Lawrence is a really, really good player. That's it. Let, let's not get that lost in the discussion here. While this opens up a certain window, and I think that there's opportunity for Syracuse here, you need every little advantage, every little thing to swing your way. And given how well the Syracuse pass rush has been playing in the last two games, I don't care in one sense that it's Florida State and UConn. This is just a group that's confident. This is a group that knows it can get not only to the quarterback, but it can get to the Clemson quarterback because they did it last year. I think that's one thing we're forgetting. Syracuse won at the point of attack last year. They won in the trenches. They pushed Clemson back. Is that going to happen again this year? We'll see. You can't really count on it. I think you lose more physical battles than you win in this game. Particularly, it is harder to accomplish on the road because last year you had momentum behind him. You had the crowd behind you. There was the shell shock on that offensive line that our starters down. And, you know, even the backup that played in that game, he's not even there anymore. I can share this with you. You know, I don't want to share what was said in the room or anything other than I was with Dino Babers today when he got the news that Kelly Bryant was out. And what I can share from being in the room at that time, and you'll, we certainly discussed it in an interview in, in interview, pardon me, that you'll hear tomorrow, and we just played back the clip there. And in my interview with him, he says something very similar to that. But you could just kind of see the wheels turning. You, you look at the reaction of it and you say, well, now we don't have to prepare for two quarterbacks. You can go all in on Trevor Lawrence. That reverberates through the building. It reverberates through the defensive coaches. And they say, okay, well, this is a bit of a game changer here because the thought was Kelly Bryant would play as well. Kelly Bryant is somebody who can take off and run a little bit more than Trevor Lawrence can. But make no mistake about it, guys. There's a reason that Trevor Lawrence took this job. There's, you know, as the kids would say, what a first-world problem that Clemson has. And I have talked about this a little bit through the college football season, and it just this is the latest example of it. The embarrassment of riches that some teams have at quarterback is fascinating to me. The reason that Alabama looks like, let's just say, 
another level up from their usual dominance. What's uh boy, I'm going to screw up this reference cuz I do not watch these movies, but so what ha- you know the the Avengers movie Infinity War and it's like it it's Thanos, right? And he gets all the jewels or something and that means like he's basically unstoppable. That's Alabama with Tua. Alabama's always great, but you know they just kind of got by with AJ McCarron. It kind of got by with Jalen Hurts, right? And for Alabama, that's you know getting to the national championship game because they're Alabama. They are so stocked and so good at the key positions, particularly in the trenches, offensive and defensive line, certain skill positions. That you just needed a quarterback that just kind of moved you up the field, did your thing, played it safe, didn't throw a lot of picks. In the case of Jalen Hurts, could move in the pocket and was mobile. Well, Tua can throw it over the mountains. And the rate at which he is scoring touchdowns, he has not turned the ball over yet this year. I believe he has, what, 13 touchdowns, no picks. And Bama's just on a different stratosphere right now. Clemson has two quarterbacks, at least they did until Kelly Bryant decided to uh, to transfer. But they've got a kid below Trevor Lawrence, who also was pretty highly rated. And, and it, Clemson and Bama, the type of quarterbacks they're bringing in, you're not taking a shot here on, on some dark horse who, you know what, he's only a two-star, but we're going to give him a shot. No, it's you're bringing in the best of the best. Georgia's the number two or three team in the country, depending where you think they should be. They have two quarterbacks. Syracuse has two quarterbacks now. Dungy's the starter, Dungy's the guy, but Eric, Tommy DeVito's had to play in every game, either by necessity or they want to work him in and get him reps. It's incredible to see... All these teams that have two legitimate quarterbacks that you go up to the National Football League and Jimmy Garoppolo gets hurt and you say, well, you're screwed. And a lot of teams out there, you look at your backup quarterback situation and you say, that's not good. Like Aaron Rodgers, for example, had Brett Hundley at one point and now has Deshaun Kaiser. Like if he can't go with that leg gives out on him, you're done. You're done. There's only so many Josh Allens and Baker Mayfields and Josh Rosens to go around, and they're all in. They're all in. By week four, they have all been designated starters, either by injury or by performance. So if you're Syracuse, you're looking at this and you're saying, look, we got to Kelly Bryan a year ago. We overwhelmed that offensive line. Now, the offensive line this year is better. Clemson has more skill position players. They have... The, I think, one of the best running backs in the ACC. I think it's pretty much a conversation between Travis Etienne and A.J. Dillon at Boston College. They've got speed on the outside, and they've got the revenge factor. They will be ready for this. This is not Buster Douglas surprising Mike Tyson anymore. This is they will be ready from the the get-go, and they've got Death Valley on their side. But if you're Syracuse, you can sit here and you can overcomplicate this, and I still think it's worth it to run some razzle-dazzle, to catch Clemson off guard, to just, you want to feel like you emptied the chamber. You want to feel like you walked off that field throwing everything you have at a team like Clemson. But sometimes it's as simple as this, as we found out last year. Just get to the quarterback. Trevor Lawrence is really good. You hear Dino there a moment ago say it feels like he's going to be the top pick in the draft in a few years. And I have nothing to dispute that. He's that good. But he's a freshman. And if you go back just a couple of games, Texas A&M, Clemson, 
Trevor Lawrence did not win that game for Clemson. Kelly Bryant did. Trevor Lawrence has not really faced a lot of true adversity here. Now, you think you've got to be concerned if you're a Syracuse fan because what has been hidden in this 4-0 start, given the lack of DeAndre Francois a great quarterback when he's got protection, but he doesn't have protection. Wagner didn't exactly put the fear of God into you. Western Michigan, they dropped 42 points on Syracuse, and there were signs even in that game that the secondary had its holes in it. Now the secondary's banged up. Evan Foster should play, but he's not 100%. Devin Clark is doubtful for this game. They don't list injury reports anymore in the ACC, but I wouldn't expect to see him. Antoine Cordy was playing with a air cast last week, and we know how important he is as kind of the hybrid defensive player there. He's not even on special teams right now. And even when they're healthy, there have been signs that if you have a quarterback that can throw it over them mountains like Uncle Rico, that you can pick apart that secondary. Well, Trevor Lawrence, bing, fits that category. So it is up to your pass rush, it is up to your defensive line to somehow carry over the momentum that they had against UConn and Florida State, knowing that this is a whole different ballgame with Clemson. Here's uh, Dabo Swinney on the quarterback decision, putting him into the game, and why at this point, he made the change. He's got a bunch of touchdown drives, a bunch. So he's just he's just been very very productive, and and again Kelly's been very productive. Uh, Kelly's not done anything wrong. He's not. It's not. This is not a situation where guys played bad, and all of a sudden you're like, ugh. This is not. This isn't that case. Uh, both these guys have played really well. So this is just rewarding the performance that we've seen. Um, and, and just the productivity that we've seen. Now, it's interesting because Dabo was asked about this. I believe this is from yesterday on the potential that Kelly Bryant could transfer. Here's what he said. You know what? If, 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 I, was, if I was worried about that or I was deceitful in some way or something like that, you know, I could have huddled the coaches up and said, hey, let's make sure we start him for Syracuse. And, and you know, that way he, he's got no option. You know, that, that's not how I operate. I don't think like that. I don't operate that way. I mean – I'm just trying to do what's right, and uh, I'm not going to ever apologize for that. That was yesterday. We got the news today that Kelly Bryant was transferring. Now, the timing on this is very interesting because what has been created in college football is essentially a trade deadline. There's a new rule in college football, as many of you know, that if you want to maintain eligibility, that you cannot play in four games. Kelly Bryant was right up against it when it came to that deadline. You used to be, if you want to maintain eligibility, not have to redshirt or blow a redshirt year. If you played one play in one game, your redshirt's gone. So Kelly Bryant, by walking away now, under the deadline, under the required time to play, can transfer, which he has, as we saw today, chosen to do. This is fascinating because not that everybody has the embarrassment of riches that Clemson does, but if you're at a Clemson, you're at a Bama, you are at a Georgia, you're at a big-time program, and you see the writing on the wall and you say, boy, I led this team to playoffs, to national championship games. I didn't even finish the Syracuse game last year, and they beat us, and the only team I lost to was Bama. And Kelly Bryant, you know, certainly a frustrated kid, 
saying today that he didn't feel like he got a fair shot at the starter's job, which I don't, I'm not there every day, but I don't think I agree with that. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is just better than you. Dabo said he had to make the change when it was obvious. It was obvious, obvious, pardon me, from a playing standpoint, but it was also obvious that Dabo's looking out for you and saying, look, we're making this decision. If you do want to transfer, you've got to do it now. This, this is We've got to pull you now in order for you to be eligible to do this. So I don't think uh, Dabo didn't really want to get into that on the ACC teleconference today. Those comments we played just a moment ago were from yesterday, but if you are a coach and you're thinking about that kid and you know you want what's best for him, you are absolutely putting that into the mix, right? So we'll discuss this a little bit more, how it affects this game, how Syracuse can approach it, because it can have the opposite effect. This could be the rallying point that Clemson needs. This can provide clarity, because maybe there was some tension there. Like, I don't know, both these guys are good, and Kelly led us to the Bama game, and Boy, he was really good for us when he was in, but you can't ignore how good the Trevor Lawrence kid is, right? And the players know the locker room swings a certain way. It's happening at the National Football League level right now. You ride the hot hand, right? Well, with, with like Ryan Fitzpatrick and some other quarterback situations out there. Well, if you're Clemson, you're like, hey, Kelly, we love you, man, but have you seen this kid throw the ball? 437-7644, which makes you look at how well Syracuse, and we had some doubts, let's be honest here, we had a few doubts along the way here, but how well this Eric Dungy, Tommy DeVito thing has been managed so far, by and large. It's a good problem to have, like uh, we mentioned a moment ago, these are first world problems to have when you have two quarterbacks. That old notion of if you have two quarterbacks, you have none, not exactly. More to come on this, Julian Wiggin with his perspective coming up, hot takes on the way, it is so great to have you here. You're on the block, ESPN Radio. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. It's presented by Burdick Toyota. All guests join us via the pick and pull of Auburn Auto Parts and Recycling Center hotline as well. Julian Wiggum will be in person in studio. About a half hour from now, breaking it all down, Syracuse football-wise. Looking forward to that as usual. Right now, looking forward to some takes that are a little warmer than usual. Let's get it. We've got a hot one for you. Oh, you're hot. Why, thank you. So are you. And I'm not afraid to cry. So hot. So hot and hot. Man, it's hot. How hot is it? It's so hot, I poured McDonald's coffee in my lap to cool off. (laughs) It's time for hot takes on the block. So as I'm sure many of you saw on the social media, as the kids would say, maybe a story on Syracuse.com today or heard Otherwise, Rick Pitino was in town yesterday, and I think he was in town for a couple days hanging with the Syracuse basketball team, observing things. Apparently, Rick is a Twitter analyst now. And listen, you know, Rick can do with his time what he wants to do. He's certainly friends with Jim Beheim, and we all know the, the story of Rick Pitino being hired as the first assistant coach here. And, you know, he's been fired from Louisville and is moving on. And, and you know, everybody deserves the right to have a little bit of a redemption tour. I, I feel like that once things calm down on that front a little bit more. He's going to end up on ESPN being an analyst and he'll be good at it because the guy knows basketball and he's one of the best basketball coaches at any level out there. But it is to use an expression too soon, right? Like really, we're just kind of turning the page on this and we're bringing in Rick Pitino to give speeches to teams. Like really? That's what I want to know. Like what's being said in that room? Is he being honest 
about what happened. And look, he has defended himself. He wrote a book about it. He is adamant about things that happened that he either didn't know about or uh, went away that was unfair to him, and he has every right to defend himself that way. But I will say this, as I have said all along here, whether Rick Pitino is innocent of this or not, he has lost the benefit of the doubt to a lot of people. He has lost the benefit of the doubt to a public because it's just one thing after the other. And for somebody who claims and has said directly and specifically, I remember everything about my basketball teams, when certain things come up, all of a sudden it's, I don't know anything. It is conceivable, and I will be consistent in this opinion too, it is conceivable that whatever was happening in that dorm room was being done without his knowledge. If anything, it's a make sure he doesn't know. It is plausible deniability, right? It's if coach doesn't know, coach doesn't know, right? But something like that, I have a hard time believing he didn't get wind of in any way. This was not a one-time-in, one-time-out, and 3 o'clock in the morning kind of thing, right? Coaches can't know everything. That is fair, and that uh, Jim Beheim has said that, not about this situation, but about things with his team, and he's right about that. But the rules say that you have to know everything. You are accountable for what happens, particularly when it comes to NCAA rules, right? So this, it just keeps coming back. And you just keep saying to yourself, well, what do you know and how do you know it? Because Patino prided himself on being a guy that said, I do know everything. I know what's going on with my team and my assistant coaches and how things are being done. And there's just, there's too many missteps here. So either he's just the unluckiest guy out there and someone's out to get him and did a good job of setting him up, or some of these things happened and he had to be accountable for him. And he's going to fight tooth and nail and look, part of the strategy these days is to go on a public tour, write a book, do interviews, put it out there, and it helps kind of fan the flames because if you're not out there, it's like, well, what does he have to hide? Unless you're in a legal situation and, and literally can't say anything, then, you know, we move on to the next thing and everybody forgets. But this, to me, has, in a new cycle that, forget 24 hours, it's more like 24 minutes these days with how quickly things go, particularly in... Washington, D.C. these days with what's going on with Brett Kavanaugh. And Yay, democracy! Every five minutes, something new comes out with that. And, and the way that, you know, this is not a political opinion, it's just fact. The, the rate at which Donald Trump makes news, it, it makes your head spin, right? So this news cycle and social media, the way it is, things come and go and you just, you're like, man, that story, that, that was last week? There's been so much that's happened, it feels like it was last year. That can happen in sports, too. But the Rick Patino thing, I say that name right now, and what do you think of? What do you associate it with? It's still fresh. It's still raw. It's still there. So I'm just kind of wondering. That's hot. What's the message to these teams that you're talking to? Are you honest about what you've gone through and what can happen and how you get through it? Or is this just a basketball thing? Which if it's just a basketball thing, well, you know what? That's fine. Particularly if you're hanging out with your friends. If you're going with Bayheim, I saw him at Cincinnati today. And I think he's doing this at a lot of different schools. If they'll have him, you can go and, and knock yourself out. But to me, I think there's still a lot of things like, you know what, too soon. Too soon. I'm wondering what the market is for Bryce Harper, too. Because Bryce Harper is about to play his last home game with the Washington Nationals. Now, we know the usual suspects that can pay Bryce Harper what Bryce Harper can command. 
on the free agent market this offseason. And those teams are, and I'm going to leave a couple out here, but the usual suspects come up. The Yankees, the Mets, Red Sox, Cubs, Nationals, who you won't go back to, but you put them on the list. Braves, Cardinals, Phillies. I threw the White Sox on there because they're a big market team. They don't always spend that way, but I think they could if they really wanted to. The Dodgers, the Angels, and I may be leaving out a team or two there, but those are the usual suspects. Giancarlo Stanton got $325 million from the Marlins of all teams four years ago, and we saw the result of that. He's now playing with the team that we all knew he'd end up on anyway, the Yankees. It's been assumed that Harper would end up on the Yankees at some point, but that's obviously something that we can't assume anymore. So the structure of the Yankees and things have happened since then. Notably, Stanton has gone there. I mean, how much salary can they really take on, even the Yankees? Bryce Harper, and look, you can get lost in a sea of stats here, but Seth and I were going through the numbers a little bit before we went on the air. So usual stats, old-school stats, 246 average, 34 homers, 100 RBIs. Had a great start to the year, hit a lull. The All-Star break revived him. The home run derby came out of the All-Star break, slumped hitting the ball, but really came on in home runs, RBIs, power numbers, the things that you know are the sexy stats that get you big contracts. His war right now, wins above replacement, is 1.2. Now, just to compare that, when he was on his MVP run, it was a 10. Mike Trout's current war is around a 10. Trout is not a free agent for another two years, and I don't want to say being stuck there is is a fair representation of that because you're in Los Angeles, you're in a great city, you're in a great market, but Mike Trout still gets lost out there. But i got to wonder what Mike Trout, who to me is the clear best player in baseball at this point, I don't think Harper's in that discussion anymore, what he'll command. But Harper's going to get his money. He's going to get $400 million. It's just fascinating to me because it's baseball, and baseball is kind of in this weird spot right now where it's still out there. We'll all watch the playoffs. We know who some of the bigger stars are, but there was a time when this would be on, and here's the comparison, and here's where we're at now, LeBron James-like levels. Because if when LeBron was in the same spot, it's all people talked about for two years. He ends up on the Lakers, and that's only going to accelerate now given the exposure he'll get there. He's making movies and everything LeBron James has become. If I am any of those teams that I just mentioned and a few that I did not, do I really want to give Bryce Harper $400 million? If you can get it, great, okay? Billion dollars. Even that, Coach. It's what the market bears. But is it worth it to me? What does Bryce Harper bring? He brings you home runs and RBIs. He brings you a star. He brings you... Somebody that does have a presence. You watch that home run derby. You say, I know it's home run derby. It's his dad chucking meatballs at him. Actually, his dad can throw 90, but you know what I'm saying. Harper brings a certain appeal. Kids love Harper. They love the swagger. They you know, they know him from the video game. And he's a standout guy. Like Harper is on the short list of the biggest stars in baseball. But if what's the return for me? If I give him $400 because if I'm the Lakers having LeBron James, that speaks for itself, what the return is. There are certain stars on a certain level. I think Bryce Harper was on that level at some point. I think he flirts with being on that level, but is he really there? He's a $400 million guy because the market bears it, but is he a $400 million player? 
and I'm going to make that money back. That's hot. And I'm going to have a star on my hands, and I'm going to have somebody that will sell tickets and just everything he brings to the table. Baseball is in kind of a weird spot right there because that list is very short of people you'd even think about saying, yes, they're on that level. And not just because they're next up on the price is right, and this is what the market pays. Look at quarterbacks in football. Derek Carr, Matthew Stafford, Jimmy Garoppolo for five minutes was the highest paid quarterback in football. It's like, it's just because they're next in line. It's not because they're the best. It's just because they're next. And then Aaron Rodgers gets a four-year, $134 million extension. You're like, okay, well, at least the money's going to the right guy in that sense, right? Uh, While we're on the football subject here, uh, James Harrison, of course, former Pittsburgh Steeler, uh, had some very interesting advice for Le'Veon Bell, saying, quote, For me, I'd give you everything at practice. You'd see, the cameras would see, that I'm fine, I'm healthy. But come Saturday, mm, something ain't right. I can't play on Sunday. Because if I go out here and I mess something up, I'm losing a lot of money. So essentially what James Harrison is advising Le'Veon Bell is to fake an injury. Bell has refused to sign his franchise tender, as ESPN notes here, of $14.5 million. So, so far, he has forfeited $2.6 million by missing, by missing the Steelers' first three games. The Steelers, as reported by Adam Schefter, have recently began listening to trade offers. Harrison said he thinks a trade involving Bell is unlikely and also warned that a return to the Steelers would be difficult for the three-time Pro Bowler, citing the, quote, friction in the locker room. Harrison, who recently retired from the NFL after a 15-year career, including 14 with the Steelers, five Pro Bowls, two Super Bowl titles, and a Defensive Player of the Year. That's very interesting advice there. So you show up, you look good, but closer we get to game day, ooh, I'm not feeling so good. Man, that's something That's something really hurts in my knee there. Oh, my arm, it's broken, right? I'm surprised there's that much friction in the Steelers' locker room. I really am, because while they're not all on Bell's level, they're all players. They all go through the meat grinder in some way, shape, or form themselves. In the NFL in particular, you have got to get what you can in guaranteed money, and Bell has costed himself a lot of money that he better hopes he gets back later, but he is right to take a stand on this. I'm with the player on this. Oh, he's selfish. He's affecting the locker room. He's doing all this. They would have run him into the ground this year. This goes two ways. The coaching staff, the management of that team, they would have run him into the ground. So by him kind of riding this out, holding out, getting what's best for him, I applaud it. I mean, you can you know go morals on me all you want, how it affects the team. Obviously, the offensive line wasn't too thrilled about it. They're so happy for James Conner and what he's doing on that team and I'm not saying it's not going to, you know, Le'Veon Bell is going to take some shrapnel here. Let's not, you know, hide that fact. But Le'Veon Bell goes out there and, you know, runs 30 times a game. And knowing what hits to NFL players do and how it shortens their careers, I mean, just do the numbers here. And given the structure of NFL contracts and how if if your contract's not done a certain way, you don't have enough guaranteed money, they can just cut you, trade you, get rid of you like yesterday's donuts, and it does not matter. So for Harrison to say, yeah, show up, show them what you got, but then come game day, oh, whew, 
I'm not feeling so well, right? You better put me on an injured list again. Again, Le'Veon? What is it this week? Last week, your grandmother died. Before that, it was a dentist appointment. Before that, your knee hurt. What is it this time? <sighs> Let's see. Um, hmm. Uh, foot. My foot. Oh, oh, my foot. It's like the wheel we have in the studio, right? Bring the wheel over here, Seth. Can can people hear? They here. Bring it over to the microphone closer so people can hear it. Is this what Le'Veon Bell is doing? I know it's heavy. I'm making Seth drag this heavy wheel over here. So, Le'Veon, how come you can't play this week? Well, let's see. Let's see where the wheel lands. It's a elbow. Elbow injury this week. We'll break on that. No, come back. Julian Wiggum's going to hang with us. Talk some football. Back after this. Thank you. Bye-bye.